Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Um, so let's get going. So can I please introduce our speakers? Um, on my right, uh, we've got Asif Saleh. And Asif, I'll let you all introduce what you do and where you come from, because sure. I might get it wrong at this point in time. Uh, Dennis, uh, wonderful to have you here. Dennis Mizen, um, uh, Walid Almari, uh, and Eugene uh, Chung. So um, different contexts, different approaches, different um, activities or engagement in, in, in your sort of, um, in your work. So Asif, can I start by asking you to just quickly introduce the BRAC Foundation sure. and your work and what you do and how you think EdTech is for good. Okay, um, thank you. My name is uh, Asif Saleh, I uh, work for BRAC. I'm a Senior Director for Strategy, Communication and Empowerment which means a handful, but overall, a lot of the new stuff that I, that's BRAC doing, I kind of am responsible for, responsible for it, and I'm in, I'm, I uh, particularly work with a small unit called Social Innovation Lab, uh, which experiments a lot with uh, technology and various other contextual frugal innovation that we call it um, for, for us. And BRAC, um, some of you may know, is, uh, is one of the largest NGOs in the world. Uh, which started in Bangladesh, but has very large-scale programs uh, in, from education to financial inclusion to water and sanitation, and uh, nine large-scale programs like that, uh, with the motto that poverty is, there's no one magic bullet, but you have to attack poverty from all fronts. We also have 13 social enterprises, so it's a hybrid model where um, our 70% of our own resources come from, 70% of our budget comes from our own resources. So it's a, with an annual budget of one billion, over $1 billion, so it's uh, quite a significant amount that we generate from our own resources. So I'll stop at that, but I think uh, in terms of uh, where BRAC is, I think, in education, uh, we run about 20,000 schools in Bangladesh, and, and in some parts uh, we also are in 12 other countries, uh, but Bangladesh is our biggest operation. Um, and uh, technology, uh, in terms of introducing technology, is something is, which is, uh, Still, we are learning as we are going. Uh, I know there are a lot of conversation, a lot of talk around this, but we, uh, as we work at scale and we work at the very last mile where uh, there's no one else there, uh, the government schools are there and the connectivity is very poor. So it has been, um, it has been we, did, we deliberately decided not to go with the, where the hype is, let's put it this way. And we, uh, we wanted to come up, uh, look at interesting, innovative organization to come up with fantastic solutions so that we can partner with them. Because um, uh, for us, investing on new technology uh, has, uh, would mean actually a significant cost increase because of the scale that we operate. So uh, we, had, we have to be very sure about that introducing tech actually improves uh, the learning outcomes significantly. So uh, having said that, 
Um, um, from the lab, we are, uh, um, there are a few things that we are doing. Where we have invested is, uh, in technologies in digitization of our data collection. Um, so just to give you an example, um, so our workers, uh, healthcare workers, uh, and also our uh, financial inclusion workers, uh, reach about 110 million households in Bangladesh. And they collect a large amount of data. So historically, what used to happen is that the data that we collected was mainly used for donor reporting. Uh, so where we basically said that uh, X, Y, Z schools have been set up, they have achieved this amount, that. So by the time the data actually come, came from our field offices to the head office, um, in a very manual sort of way, uh, it has been summarized uh, so much that you only got the headline, right? So, so what we learned from this process is that, uh, and, and over the last few years, yes, has been that technology has become very available, uh, handsets have become very cheaper, so we have given frontline staff our handhelds, and they are digitizing the data, um, uh, collecting the data in, in this format, and that has changed the way we monitor our program completely. So it's uh, actually the real-time monitoring that is happening. And so because the data is not sliced and uh, data is not summarized by the time it comes to head office, we are actually being able to run a lot of analytics in the data to understand which elements of our programs are working and how effective they are. So I know uh, I can elaborate more at, at some uh, point. But yes, yeah. I'll pass on to. Sure. Um, I think I'll ask you, Walid, because your context is very, very different, and also what you do is, is obviously quite different, although there are, of course, synergies. So could you kind of give us a bit more background, please, and also where EdTech plays a uh, part in, in, in your activities, which I know it does, but I'm sure people here would like to hear more. Yeah. Sure. Uh, my name is Walid Ammari. I'm with the Queen Rania Foundation for Education and Development. Um, and basically, so what we do is we, we act as a catalyst for change. Um, and, and we seek improvement in learning outcomes, uh, right? To change realities uh, and, and sort of give hope and give more opportunities to students and refugees coming into Jordan or the region as well. So, uh, and most of what we do or at the core of what we do is extensive research, program development, piloting, uh, and impact evaluation as well to help us inform policy um, uh, and support national policy uh, as well to uh, sort of support the uh, um, whole education ecosystem. Now, with regards to EdTech for Good, we, in Jordan alone is host to 1.3 million uh, Syrian refugees. So we do take into account and consider that and consider the effect of that on the education system as a whole and, and the educational infrastructure, right? So uh, we use research to help us identify what, what the needs are. Um, each case is different and each country is different. Refugees have, a different, uh, have different needs and have different requirements. You have the in-camp refugees and you have the, um, the refugees who are out of camp uh, in host communities. Uh, and even these different, two different groups of refugees have different needs. So, so it's very important for us when it comes to EdTech is to identify what these needs are. It's not only about connectivity um, or content or, or accessibility because um, you see a lot of 
organizations, a lot of uh, donor um, agencies uh, or program uh, leaders focusing on connectivity, uh, getting schools connected or getting refugees connected. But it really, um, uh, the devil is in the details, right? So, so getting them connected is not enough, um, even if they get connected. What is the content that's out there? Um, you see most of the content for refugees has been developed in English, uh, where, where there is a weakness, obviously. So, so how, do we, how do we track that? How do we fix that? Um, uh, how do we move forward with speed uh, and flexibility to provide high-quality Arabic content? Uh, that's one of the th an example of, of um, one of the things that we look at and we identify so that we're able to, to inform um, government and work closely with the Ministry of Education as well to, uh, to develop the ETEC strategy and, and national policy. Um, that's pretty much, you know, what we focus on. Wonderful. Thank you. Dennis, um, again, you're from a um, completely different context. Hmm. So could you kind of highlight to us, you know, what that is and how you kind of approach yeah. the EdTech um, for good <coughs> challenge? So my name is Dennis Misny. I'm the CEO of the Lemon Foundation. We are a family foundation uh, whose focus is in improving Brazilian education at large scale. We have about 40 million students in Brazil in our public education system, about almost 200,000 schools, uh, and two million teachers. And uh, unfortunately, about only 10% of the children who finish high school are actually learning what they're supposed to learn. So there's a big, it's not only a very large scale problem, but it's also a big depth of like how far they are from the quality that they need. When we, about six years ago, we decided that our goal was going to be to make sure that every uh, child in Brazil had a world-class education. So we wanted to look at what would be um, actions and strategies that would, could reflect at that scale level. And then, of course, technology comes to mind, right? When you think about that, I think a lot of people, when they approach tech, ed tech, maybe five, ten years ago, were thinking about, oh, that's an easy way to scale up and we're going to have the best lessons in the world delivered to every child. Sometimes they don't have a teacher. And of course, as you said, the devil is in the details. It's not that easy to achieve. So I think in our, in our process with technology, I think we started trying to bring, to create an ecosystem that would foster innovation and the creation of uh, good solutions from Brazil, as well as attracting good solutions from outside Brazil to Brazil and rolling them out inside public schools. We started with small pilots in three schools in the, some of the poorest areas of the city of Sao Paulo, saw good results, encouraging results, and started to rolling this out. We started with a focus on math. Uh, eventually, you reach a pilot. We call it a pilot, but we had about 100,000 students uh, in 500 schools all over the country. And what we were learning is, at the same time we're doing these pilots in schools, this is like five years ago, we also started to open these tools to the general public and just go to like social media and mass media to talk about opportunities for students. We started with about 10,000 students using our solutions. Uh, we reached about 25 million uh, students using somehow the solutions that we were either backing in Brazil or developing inside the foundation, including things like Khan Academy, in Portuguese, including YouTube EDU that we created with Google in Brazil with 30,000 video lessons curated by profes professionals. 
uh, teachers who are like really curating video by video and making sure it's high quality so you help kind of students navigate inside the you know vast library that YouTube uh, represents and things like that. And we were very happy to get that reach and that we were helping kids and by just by the engagement numbers, we knew that this was serving a, a real pain. But when we look at the impact of that, we saw that we could only find impact in learning for sure if we were able to take this inside the schools, align with the curriculum, with great teachers, again, all obvious, but it's important to state, uh, and with the right infrastructure inside the schools. So then that's what we did in a larger scale, measure that, um, and I can, I can share the results afterwards, but encouraging results in terms of improving math learning, for example, substituting one lesson a week through a lesson with uh, the Khan Academy platform in Portuguese with the teacher instead of the only the regular teacher, about 30% more gains in math in a one year, which is pretty significant. Uh, but uh, we move from that model to say, okay, what are the bottlenecks that are stopping the system from being more innovative and so that ed tech can really be effective and equitable. And what we are doing then, and I, I share later so I'll stop, is basically, First, you have to get connectivity right. I mean, connectivity is not enough, but if you don't have it, it's a non-starting point, right? You're going to be relying on very old technology. So uh, we just pushed up a national policy on connecting all the schools in Brazil to high-speed uh, internet until 2024. Uh, 22,000 schools were connected last year, the first year of the policy. So this is moving forward. We connected with this connectivity piece, sorry for the... Uh, but we link to this connectivity piece a very important aspect, which is helping every school to create a vision on how technology is going to help them. If you only bring the technology but you don't have a vision, nothing is going to happen. There will be just extra expenses for the school or more problems with hardware or whatever. So the vision is critical and we built a framework and a training model and a platform to help each school develop a vision and they only can get access to the connectivity when they send a plan with a vision, what they want to do there. After you have your vision, you have your connectivity and your infrastructure, it's all about teacher training and the last part, the right product. So I think if you don't do it all at the same time, we'll be fighting each other what's more important but nothing is going to work. So you have to have a more holistic approach. Thank you. <coughs> now, this wouldn't be an EdTech for Good panel without someone involved in EdTech, ideally. Um, so, Eugene, can you tell us what you do and sure. why you do it and what the impact is you're having? Sure. Um, hi. Oh. Hi, my name is Eugene Chung. I'm the CEO of an EdTech startup based in Berkeley, California, called Enuma. Um, we are a mission-driven, for-profit company um, with the goal of empowering all students, especially students who are typically underserved through great e education technology solutions. Um, we are best known in commercial market for our app called Toto Math, a pre-K to second grade comprehensive math app that's on the App Store, six million downloads, multiple awards. It's often installed in the Apple stores in the pre-installed um, devices as a demo app. So we're very proud of that. But um, so our company was started by a game developer and game designer, husband and wife team from Korea. Um, their inspiration was their son who was born with um, disabilities, physical and um, he's hard of hearing and also learning differences. 
And as parents, they were looking for solutions and technology-based because of their background. And this was when the iPad or rumors that iPad was coming out was, was out there. So they started to really build um, apps for children with special needs. And that's how the company started. So there's the good part there. Um, but more, most recently, we um, started looking at children in developing countries with the Global Learning X Prize competition. It's a $15 million prize um, that, uh, with the goal of, can you create a tablet-based software that will be deployed in remote villages in Africa, and children can learn on their own how to read and write and do basic math because they don't have access to schools. So that's the challenge, and we entered that. Um, so we developed a fully comprehensive, beautiful, um, app that teaches literacy, math, and other musical and art tools all embedded. And we were named one of the top five finalists last fall. And this May, May 15th, um, the final winner will be announced. Um, and $10 million will be awarded. And we've been talking with Queen Rania Foundation and also hope to talk to Brack. Um, but what, what the results we're seeing is amazing. So the field test that XPRIZE is doing is a 15-month-long field test. Um, we're in about 400 students in 28 villages for one solution, and the four other competitors also there, there's a control group. Um, they're doing a 15-month-long rigorous study because um, they saw how like one laptop for a child failed because there was no good s software solution, and they really see having a good software is important. Um, and while this is happening, we have been also running our own field tests, and the results are amazing. Um, children in um, rural, uh, schools, just getting 30 minutes of uh, our product is called Kit Kit School, um, is making meaningful learning gains. But not only that, we also compared it um, deploying in community centers where children are brought in all day in, in literally a hut um, with just one adult, no, no lessons taught. Children were using this for f average four hours a day, and they were able to make just in um, eight weeks the baseline, that this for, they started a much lower baseline than the students um, who were in school, but they caught up, and the students who got additional um, lessons through Kick Kids School also made learning gains. And we're also working in refugee camps in Kakuma, um, doing some pilots in Rwanda, um, and all of them are making learning gains. So um, I guess what I would like to say is, is the theme of the EdTech for Good is, um, we believe that actually technology can be a really powerful tool for the students that are typically underserved. Um, so our apps actually apply universal design for learning principles. So it actually tailors to the variety of learning needs. It has, um, our Toto Math app has font for dyslexia. So just one click, it, you know, the font can change. KitKit School has sign language capabilities. So if you turn on the sign language function, the little video pops up with the sign languages. Um, so the, the possibility is immense, and we really believe technology may be the only solution, especially in developing and low-resource countries, to serve the wide variety of needs of children. So I'll stop there. And Wonderful. That's great. Um, Asif, how would you respond to what uh, Eugene has just told you? Yeah. <laughs> because you're kind of at the other end of the spectrum to some extent, because in a way you're, you're sort of more, although you're outside of the 
formal system, you're still quite dealing with systemic approaches. Yeah. Whereas what Eugene is doing is obviously coming kind of more bottom up, if you like. So how how do you kind of you know sort of responding to what she's just said? Yeah. How do you respond to that as a foundation? No, absolutely. Um, I I think no, oh, yeah, I have. It. Uh, I absolutely. I mean, basically, I think that's exactly why. We did not invest a lot on finding our own niche, and we'd love to partner with these guys because I think one thing is that uh, the more and more we are seeing the education system has been in challenge for a long time, right? As a result, the new generation of teachers who are coming up are even poorer quality from the previous generation of teachers as a result of this. So increasingly, uh, I think where, where we see the technology can play the role is basically, unfortunately, kind of bypassing the role of the teacher or complementing the role of the teacher uh, or the weaknesses that the teacher has and, and get into more personalized learning. And, uh, and, and the new generations of children are more responsive to technology because of the circumstances they're growing up with. So, but I think critically uh, what he said that if uh, connectivity is the number one issue, if the software uh, is not dependent on connectivity, that's a win-win proposition. But the second thing I would say that it needs to be, it's, it, it cannot be just plucked uh, plucked in uh, in a in a artificial artificially in an environment, right? So, uh, I, I think you talked about the one laptop per child. I think one reason the failure for one laptop per child is not was just it didn't have a software, but it also it underestimated the delivery and where at uh, the context, uh, right? So it was just a very broad ambition. So again, context is different. Understanding local uh, sort of capacity to take this technology on and, and be prepared to make adjustments to, um, for, so for that, I think for role of our uh, kind of organization who are actually working on the field, practitioners who understands the context well and can guide the innovative uh, organizations like KitKit to basically do that bridge building and matchmaking. So if um, Khan Academy, for example, is uh, something we tried for a little bit, but then we realized that Again, our notion of parents' understanding of quality education is very much dependent on the results of the exams, and which is the GPA. Is my child going to get the GPA 5.0 rather than uh, whether the, uh, your child actually learned something or not, right? So the so first thing they asked is that, does this relate to the local syllabus? Uh, um, if not, then we're not interested in spending time. I'd rather invest on a private tutor. So there's also like a lot of this advocacy that you need to do around this. So, so I think I'll, I'd kind of leave it at that, but understanding and, and matchmaking implementers and innovators is very, very important. Would you echo that, Dennis? No, I think, yeah, in, I think in a, <clears throat> a lot of times we're trying to find like uh, one solution that will be magic, and I think that was the problem with one laptop per child or many other initiatives or even some of the hype around Khan Academy in the beginning or other solutions. So it's really hard to educate it. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. It's really hard to educate a child, right? And it's really hard to keep someone motivated. A lot of, <clears throat> sorry about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I think one of the things that we see is a lot of times when developers come up with solutions, uh, is like, you know, I'm really good at doing this, right. 
and it shows engagement. But then when you go to the school system, they, you know, if teachers will need to open 30 different apps mm. during the school day, and then another you know, system to like assessment, and these are not connected, not the back end, not the front end, you need to log in to different things. I mean, this is where things uh, actually uh, you know, become a problem. We saw actually results of classrooms going, having worse results when they started to push some products, even if the product was good, just because of the disruption of the day-to-day, -day, you know, so there are a lot of things and it, we have to think about this systemically. And I think that we see in Brazil, for example, something that is called Sistemas de Ensino, which is like learning systems. And these are all, you know, old like print, but they, they sell to schools, like these are private companies who sell like, this is the material to the student, this is for the teacher, this is the assessment, and this is the teacher training, and everything is organized and you pay once and everything is done, and then you follow, and then the parents can follow. So I think with technology, we started like unbundling everything because that was kind of the easier way to do it, and it seemed to, I think we have to rebundle things, and unless we offer a complete solution, and I'm talking about the case of Brazil, where fortunately, every kid has a place in a school, so we're not talking about these other you know, scenarios where I think, of course, technology will be extremely helpful. But in order to come into the school system, you have to think systemic. You have to offer something that can be plugged into the curriculum. We mapped Khan Academy to the Brazilian National Learning Standards. Now it's you know, all there, and you navigate through the standards. And we helped do this with about 100 ed tech companies in Brazil when the National Learning Standards were published. So otherwise, they are a distraction inside the school. So you have to bring coherence and systematic thinking. But if you do it, I think it can be very transformational. Walid. Um, I have a lot to say, so I'm just trying, <laughs> trying to organize my thoughts. I know, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm looking it's at it. I mean, I mean, it's stressful. Well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay, so, so when you look at EdTech in general, uh, we all agree that EdTech is, is absolutely uh, needed and it's absolutely important. But again, I mean, the Queen Rania Foundation launched in 2014 idrak.org, which is uh, the first Arabic massive open online uh, course platform using the edX technology uh, developed by MIT and Harvard. Um, and it's been so successful. Um, they have two streams, one for continuous learning and one for uh, the K-12 that they launched uh, last year with uh, the math vertical. So, and it's been so successful uh, because it's in Arabic and it's in, uh, it's in free, uh, it is in uh, free, and it's in high quality. So when, when we look at the uh, EdTech in general and EdTech for good, uh, given the theme, and looking at the refugee uh, or the forced uh, displacement in Jordan, we have to go back and look at the basics. Uh, and when you look at the basics, it's content, connectivity, as you said. And then we look at uh, uh, the currency and uh, uh, we call them the four C's, uh, and the currency and the cost for the student. So, so we have to look at these four as a structure before we sort of decide on what program or what technology we want to use um, to make sure what is the cost for the refugee to, to start using that technology or to get or to move forward with his um, education. What's the currency in terms of this? What are the skills that we want these refugees to exchange for a better future, for uh, uh, getting a paying job? Um, and then connectivity, of course, is getting connected and the content to be, uh, to have high quality Arabic content. Um, parallel to that, we still have to look at scalability. And I think each one of us define, would define scalability in different terms. 
based on the number of population or based on the number of target group that you want to uh, reach out to. So whether it's a mobile app or it's an online-based uh, program or whatever it is, it needs to factor that in uh, because it needs to be scalable. On an, as, at, at least for us in Jordan, it needs to be scalable on a national scale. So we're talking about, that's why we're talking about national policy, uh, national educational system. Um, one of the main challenges in, in, in EdTech is having, because it is such a complex sector, and it, it, it requires the collaboration of the private sector, the public sector, the NGOs, the local communities, um, other than the elements of you know, hardware, software, uh, internet, and, and so on. So it's so complex, it needs, for, to, to achieve collective impact, you need collective efforts. So you need to bring all of these um, players to the table so that you're able to move forward with, a, with an effective um, tech uh, strategy. Thank you. Well, we hope that this conference is a, a good kind of um, launch pad to doing that, and it's very much our intention to do that Absolutely. because we also see the importance of it. Eugene, um, your kind of response to, you know, what, um, response mm. to response, if you like, um, you've, you've heard kind of three different uh, context, but actually there is a message there about synergy, about coalition, about coming together, yes. about dialogue, about, you know, sort of looking at things holistically, mm -hmm. which has been a l often the time of the problem when EdTech comes into, into the game because it kind of sits over there. You're in that over there space, but you're obviously kind of I'm getting closer, closer to yep. over here, right? Yep. So how, how, what do you think for you is the kind of biggest challenge to, yeah. to sort of find that synergy with um, players well, like, right. organizations like these, but also very much with, with kind of government? I right. know they're not in the room, but I mean, that's, that's a big issue. So uh, especially as a for-profit company, um, and we're a very product-driven organization, and we're only 30 people, mind you. Um, so, as, as we made finalists in the Global Learning, um, Global Learning X Prize competition, we've been actually bombarded by inquiries, um, including Queen Rania Foundation and others. And you know, we, the CEO and I often talk about, I wish we could just focus on product. Um, and there are ways, and now we've actually built a team from people who have experience working with international NGOs and all that. Um, but we understand it requires an ecosystem. Just running these pilots in, in Africa, um, just to give you a little sense, we had to find funding. So we had to learn how to apply for government funding. We work with the Korea International Cooperation Agency, like the USAID or DFID of the UK. Um, and we had to find a local NGO who has schools or community centers to learn it. We had to find evaluators to be able to design the study, to do the assessments, and write a compelling report. Um, but that didn't stop there. Once we got the devices, we purchased the devices. Our super engineers created this great code to be able to get the student learning logs. <laughs> We're getting called the, the call from the field. It's not working. It's not working. Why is it not working? Somebody's <laughs> like, take the picture of the device box. It was not the same device that we had ordered. It was a local distributor. Ooh, right? It gets worse. It's not working. It's not working. Why is that? After like staying all overnight, all the serial numbers of these devices were the same. We coded assuming, 
I mean, right? Like the device uh, serial number will be different, so each will get a unique student ID. All of them was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, we're trying to train the local staff to be able to, to do the code to install the devices. It's not working, it's not working. We forgot to say hit enter at the end of the code, right? Like it's the things, and, and this is, I know we're very naive coming from Berkeley and Korea trying to do this work, but it, all these things I think can be mitigated with good partners. Um, and this is just to run a pilot, but we, we truly believe that if there is actually success in one country, national scale, um, and ideally where, oh, sorry, where we do well is basic literacy and math, the, the underserved children, where children can't get to good schools or high quality teachers, and we want to make an impact there, and if we can succeed in one place, then It'll, it'll be much easier to scale, and that's what we're trying to do is find the right partners to do that, funders, um, implementators, evaluators, and we know we, we, we are only one part of that ecosystem.